is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. If there is anyone out there who still doubts that America is a place where all things are possible. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free, and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. What magic wand do you have? A really strong job report to start the year, finishing really after a very strong year last year. 2.6 million jobs created last year, and, and here the first month of this year, 304,000 net new jobs. That's more than economists had expected. And now, Stacey Washington. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. <laughs> Hour two of Stacey on the Right. And we're super excited to get to talk to you today. Um, we have a ton more content. We're going to chat with Arielle Davidson. She's going to be with us in the next segment. And we're going to talk about mortgage refinance applications actually soaring to the most in four years. Rates are plummeting. So, um, you know, there's a lead on that where when the rates plummet, you know, obviously it takes about four to six weeks to get through a refinance process. So that means, you know, the rates are going to hold for a little bit. And um, so everyone's like, just don't, don't, please don't stop the music. We're just, they're just enjoying themselves. Everybody's super, super happy about it. And um, I got to say, I, I think it's awesome. You know, it's, it's kind of awesome to see people getting a refinance out of, um, I think the rate now is averaging 3.75%. So if you have more than 4% as your rate on your home loan, then you got to get going. You got to get, get, you know, make something happen. Um, and that is wonderful, wonderful to see people getting to take that, that opportunity. Um, so you guys remember, and one of the things I think we, we got to highlight it right here on the show. Let's, let's start right now. Do you remember the Virginia Lieutenant Governor and how he was accused of rape? You heard anything about that recently? Or are we just, we're letting that go, huh? What about their governor? Um, he was in a picture in blackface with somebody wearing a KKK outfit. He's also back in the legislature just doing whatever he's going to do. I mean, total, a total pass. Now, why is this important? Because I don't live in Virginia. I mean, I have family who does, but I don't live there. Um, it's not super important to me whether or he wore the blackface 17 years ago, what have you, uh, the other guy, you know, the Lieutenant governor, he's been accused, but he has not been convicted of rape. Um, so he's innocent until proven guilty. But do you see the double standard here? How there's nothing happening to them, but we had Kavanaugh almost lost everything over accusations that were clearly made up. Um, others have lost committee appointments Steve King lost his you know he's stripped of all committees because of a unacceptable turn of phrase because I, I really don't believe he was equating white supremacy with western civilization so uh, you know when when do we when do we see the democrats walk the same line they've put down for all the rest of us i guess we won't so here we are with, you remember their old governor, Governor Northam is their new guy. Their old guy was Governor Terry McAuliffe, and he had a lot of scandals. Like he had issues for days. 
And he still commentates politically. He still gets called into radio shows and stuff like that. So we've got this audio of him. And he sounds like he's not in support of the late-term abortion bill. But then, yeah, he's still in support of it. So (laughs) here we go again. Let's listen to number two. I believe it was, you know, Virginia law currently requires, you know, that before a woman can end a third trimester pregnancy, she must get three separate doctors to evaluate the pregnancy mm-hmm. and really certify that it's necessary. The, the bill would have changed the number from three doctors to one. The goal right. of the bill, like many other states have done this, John, if you're in Patrick County or Lee County or, you know, if you're in a rural county, and the mother's life is in danger, it is very hard to get three doctors. So the whole purpose of the bill was to, all the, in my mind, what I heard, is to change it from three to one. And I understand that's important for women who have a health emergency, and you may not be able to get three doctors. If you've got one qualified, certified doctor saying, yes, the mother's life is in danger. And I remind you, John, this is very important, because this is when stuff gets caught up in the political grinder, that there have only been two third trimester abortions in Virginia in the last 19 years. Two. So, unfortunately, and going to your earlier premise, you're right, any discussion like this is bad for Virginia. But it it got turned into a political theater, and Republicans used it to their advantage, and I think Kathy Tran, when she was asked the question about the woman dilation, the answer is no. It's not yes. It's no. So then at the end of the interview, he says, you've not answered my question. The, the radio host there, he says, you know, Mr. McAuliffe, you haven't answered my question. I asked you if you would have vetoed that bill. And he said no. So after all of that, word salad, dancing around the issue, tap dancing, you know, doing a jig, cutting a rug, whatever you want to call that ridiculous, you know, meandering answer he just gave. And and he is telling the truth. The previous law said you had to have three doctors before you could have a late-term abortion, three doctors who would certify that your life was in danger and the baby couldn't be saved, which basically was a safeguard against having one doctor who's really an abortionist saying, Yes, your life's in danger. When in reality, there there are very like there's just a minuscule number of cases in which a woman's life is in danger where the baby cannot be delivered by C-section or 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 naturally. So the baby at that point, like they they've saved babies who are 20 weeks. They put them in the NICU and they have to stay in the hospital for a few months, but they survive. They operate on babies in utero. So a baby that's wanted, the, the medical technology is so advanced, there's a, a great chance that your baby will survive and thrive, grow. In the, they might spend time in the, the NICU. In fact, I saw a story here in St. Louis, this adorable little boy. He's a twin, and they were born prematurely. The twin brother has already been at home for three years. But this baby, the baby who was sick, the other twin, he was in the hospital and he's basically been there for three years. They just, they couldn't get him out of there until just, just last week. And he went home. And so he went home for the first time and joined his brother there. If they could save that premature baby and keep him in the hospital for three years, then, you know, 
what is Governor Northam, what is Terry McAuliffe, former governor of Virginia, what are they talking about? So it's really, I just don't want to have that baby. And I don't want it alive as a reminder of what I did or who I was with or whatever. And that that's the story. That's that's really what's going on there. Um, so it's it's wrong. We also have to know that um, liberals are never going to be really totally honest about what's going on. But like he didn't want to be on the record as saying he was fine with it. But then he at the end, he relented and said, well, I wouldn't have because he's he's still got political aspirations. He's not the governor anymore, but he still has to go to the cocktail parties and he still wants to be a part of the fundraising apparatus. And, you know, he's he's got a life that he's going to lead after being the governor and he can't betray the Democrats on their core issue, which is abortion. And for people who say it's not, uh, you may argue with me, you may say their core issue is illegal immigration. And I'm, I'm not willing to argue with you about that. I think we could argue about more important things than whether or not their core issue is abortion or illegal immigration. We could just split the difference and say their two primary issues are illegal immigration and abortion. Now, if you're listening to the show and you're a Democrat, and what I said, you, you feel heat running up your arms, you know, up the back of your neck into your hairline, your face is getting hot, or you just feel a blinding rage, you know, um, you're going to do whatever you're going to do. But what I just said is just look at the, the reporting. What, I, what I'm talking about here when I say the two primary issues that Democrats care about are illegal immigration and abortion, look at how much time they spend talking about it. Look how rapidly they fight when those two issues come up. Look at the lengths they're willing to go to to make sure that abortions are still available to people even after a baby has been born, which, by the way, that's not an abortion. That's infanticide. And the reason I say, you know, Democrats who are listening to this, because they're the ones who email me and say, I'm a Democrat and I don't, I don't agree with anything that you just said. Well, that's why you're a Democrat, because you don't agree with what I'm saying, because this is called the Stacey on the Right Show, because I'm on the right side politically. But you're also disagreeing and you're really upset and hot and angry about what I'm saying because you don't want to face facts about the people you're still giving your vote to. And because you worship skin, melanin content, permanent tan status, victimhood, demographic boxes, call it what you want. You worship that before you bend a knee to our God and and Father in heaven. You put that first. If you didn't, then you'd be willing to vote for any person who would stand up for life from natural conception, from conception to natural death. But because you have to worship your skin first, you have to bow down to your skin first, then, of course, you're like, well, well, I can't. The Republicans are all racist. All of the Republicans are racist. And also, please point to me in the Bible where it says race is more important than whether or not you're going to touch my anointed. Now, you're going to discount it. You're going to, you know, you're, you're, in, you're inside of your own victim box and you're taping it shut from the inside, trapping yourself in an ideological box that won't permit you to admit that the Democrats are going against what the Bible says people should and should not do. And that's fine because Sound can still penetrate your neatly taped up demographic box. And that's how you can still hear me. And I know you can hear me because you're emailing me. I'm undeterred, by the way. And I think your misspelled emails are funny. In fact, 
I go through and I, I correct the spellings and then I really have a good laugh. But beyond that, this in, it's an eternal issue and you can't get away from it. You can't say because so-and-so is a racist or because so-and-so said this about immigrants or because so-and-so wants to lower taxes for big businesses, then it doesn't matter if he's pro-life. What matters is he's done all those things and Democrats would never do those things. You're wrong. You are wrong. And the proof that's in the pudding is, it, so let's just say all of the uh, illegal aliens were to suddenly start voting like Cubans. You know, Cubans, when they get here, they, they turn into good, solid Republicans. They open up businesses and they start outperforming uh, all the other demographic groups in wealth attainment, education, and, uh, you know, home ownership. And so Cubans usually vote with the Republicans, the, the bulk of them. And so because of that, Democratic presidents like Clinton and, and Obama they have worked really hard to make sure that as few Cubans get here as possible. Now, if people from South America, Mexico, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, if those people got here and suddenly started voting for the Republicans, the Democrats would go down there and Nancy Pelosi would take off her heels and her dress and she'd put on a little work outfit and she'd start putting the wall together cinder block by cinder block with rebar and a concrete footing that was about 20 feet deep. Bank on it. So this isn't an issue of them caring about illegals. It's the votes. It's power. It's power seeking. It's the same thing with uh, uh, educational choice. If if the schools that were opening up, the charter schools, KIPP schools, all these different schools that are opening up to try to serve kids who are not being served by public schools, were teaching homosexual sex tactics and uh, that America is the worst place on the planet. Basically, the same garbage kind of content that's going on in public school, then they wouldn't care about school choice. They'd be for it. Democrats would be for it. The same way they're absolutely against unwanted touching, kissing, violation of personal spaces, unless the person doing it is a Democrat. I've named off a few. They're, they're making excuses for Joe Biden as well. They're going to kneecap him still, but a lot of Democrats are making excuses for him. So it, it's not about anything they believe. It's about raw power seeking a hunger and thirst to control other people. How can you vote for that? All right, when we get back, we're going to have Arielle Davidson. Keep it here. first day of the week, very early in the morning, we took the spices that we'd prepared and we went into the tomb. We found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When we went in, we didn't find the body of our Lord Jesus. Who took him? Where is he? Who took him? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Where's Jesus? He's not here. He has risen. Jesus was alive. He's alive! Jesus was betrayed, abandoned, mocked, beaten, and then crucified on a cross for sinners like you and me. The Son of God was buried, and after three days, He rose from that grave. American Family Radio encourages you to rejoice in the glorious reality that our God is a living God. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Heartbeat bills have been introduced in numerous state legislatures. Some have held up in committee, but others make it to a floor vote. Some even pass the legislature and may even be signed by the governor. In previous years, even those that survive are certain to be struck down by federal judges. But the political and judicial landscape may be changing. That is why David French argues that it is time for Republican legislatures to throw down the gauntlet and start passing heartbeat bills that would directly challenge Roe v. Wade. He argues that the time for incrementalism is over. Most bills passed by state legislatures have focused on the margin, banning third trimester abortions, establishing a waiting period, and mandating parental consent. He believes that incrementalism had its day, but now argues that it is time for bold action. He rightly fears that incrementalism now will merely encourage judicial caution. If your goal is to have the Supreme Court overrule Roe v. Wade, why do that if most of the bills merely nibble at the margins? You don't need to overrule this Supreme Court precedent when the latest state legislative bill on abortion merely requires an abortion doctor have admitting privileges at a local hospital. That brings us back to his broader point. He says there's a change in the cultural winds. We're on the cusp of a cultural moment. Passing bills that directly challenge the 1973 Supreme Court decision represent a statement of moral intent. The focus should no longer be on what he calls the less death approach of incrementalism, but should be replaced by bills that protect the unborn. The high court will be forced to take note because we have some states like New York passing legislation expanding the right to late term abortions, while other states pass legislation protecting the unborn. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. You can find out more at stacyontheright.com. You can find that fantastic list that I compiled uh, of President Trump's accomplishments. That's over there, too. You can share that. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program, frequent uh, guest on the program. We have a fantastic time talking. Ariel Davidson is a contributor to The Federalist and to townhall.com. Ariel, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Stacey. It's always a pleasure coming on your show. Okay, so I thank you for for coming on. It's it's um, we have so much to discuss. I wanted to start off because you work for one of the organizations. You guys were recently in kind of like Twitter news. I saw it on Twitter. One of your writers was recently let go for kind of having a real meltdown online. Um, DC McAllister. She used to write for the Federalist and also for the Daily Wire, and both organizations released her after she got into a dust-up with Yashar Ali, who I actually didn't know anything more than him being a reporter who he seems to be kind of hugely popular with people on the left and the right for his comments. Um, yeah, how, yeah. how are things going since then? Things are, I mean, things are fine. You know, the reality is that DC McAllister's comments were grotesque, they were wrong, they were crude. Um, and, and, you know, here's the thing, there's ways to be civil on Twitter and disagree with people, and then there's ways to just be a huge jerk. Um, and I think that she definitely was in the latter category. Uh, Yasher is one of my friends. Uh, I would say that he's a phenomenally talented journalist, and one of the things that makes him sort of unique, and you kind of hit the nail on the head with this one, is that he really is 
beloved by both the right and the left because he's one of the few journalists out there who's maintained his composure and hasn't really gone on the train of being a, um, a biased activist. And so that's such a rare breed in terms of the journalist world right now. Um, and so I think Yasher was just someone that you could you could see both on the right and the left that people were outraged by um, Denise's comments. And I, I myself was one of those people. I said, you know, there's just, it's completely, it was completely inappropriate outside the bounds of professionalism, uh, outside the realm of just even being a decent person. Uh, and, you know, I won't even repeat the comments that were made because they're actually not even safe for radio. Uh, but I will just say that, you know, I was, I was one of those people that just felt um, it was completely, it was just, it was just rude beyond that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess the thing that I'm, I'm wondering about is cause he, he kind of, pick the fight. And I, I don't agree with what she said. I, I, I don't agree with having those kinds of comments going back and forth on social media. Um, it, it defeats the purpose. It, it makes us unable to disagree with each other when we kind of lob into the personal attacks. Um, but that being said, you know, Yashar kind of, he, he poked her first pretty hard before the whole thing started. And I've seen a lot of people commenting saying, you know, the response to trolls should be you know, silence, don't, don't respond. Um, has he said anything about kind of his, his part in this whole thing? Yeah. So his, so her initial tweet was about something in relationship to her husband. And she had, did have a weird phrase in there where she said, I flipped. Uh, and it was suggested that she had messed up. And that mm. kind of language is actually kind of, it is sort of odd in discussion of your relationship. Now that, that being aside, I probably wouldn't have said anything. Um, but I do think that when you make the cog- when you make the cognizant choice to advertise a vignette of your relationship on social media, you should be prepared for someone to make some kind of feedback. Um, and Ali's comment, you know, in response to her tweet was really along lines of, you know, this isn't right or this doesn't seem normal. And he wasn't really, I, I mean, you know, it's, it, there are a lot of people that say he wasn't wrong in that comment and saying, you know, that's kind of strange phrasing. Um, you know, someone even said it was sort of reminiscent of something abusive. You know, I slipped, I messed up. Uh, and what she did was, you know, nothing of the sort. She didn't really do anything in terms of being incorrect in her relationship with her husband, according to her story. So, you know, I will say that he didn't really, I, I would argue, from my perspective, at least as a third party and obviously you know, subjective, I wouldn't really say he went after her, but her response is, just, again, beyond the pale. Uh, and so when I think about, you know, how people react comments that are made on their tweets, you know, you put that tweet up there, be prepared for some kind of commentary. And that's why I'm sort of a firm believer in keeping, you know, my personal issues off of my Twitter, just because you don't want to invite that kind of uh, criticism. You don't want to invite, because it, then it feels very personal, mm. you know? And so I think you are right in the sense that it feels personal. When someone comments on your relationship or your, the dynamics of your relationship, it feels incredibly personal. And so I think the way you avoid that is just by not really posting, you know, incredibly personal things on Twitter to begin with. I think that's a mistake that not just, not Denise doesn't just make that mistake. I think a lot of people on Twitter who use Twitter for professional purposes make that mistake frequently. And I think it's something, it's a very hard fine line to tell uh, because we want to show, you know, we want to have a personality. We want to show people that uh, we're not just journalists. We're not just reporters. We're not just pundits. We have lives. But uh, you have to be very careful when you do that. So I agree with you. Um, I, I think it's a great lesson for us all. Not, I mean, I, I don't, I, 
I can't imagine a situation with you. Would... <laughs> oh no, live radio. I I'm I'm fine with that stuff. Um, okay. I, I I can't imagine a situation in which you, Ariel Davidson, would <laughs> you know react like that. Um, or or myself. I mean, we're all human. Any person can make you know a huge blunder. Um, but I also think you the point that you make about us kind of deciding what we're going to put out there is important. And um, I, I have shared things about my family before on there. And, and I've also been attacked, you know, when I'm not sharing things about my family. And I do less of that now be, just because of the way people respond sometimes. It's like a lot of mentally ill people trapped in a room on Twitter. And as soon as you say anything, they come over and they just start attacking you. And so I've stopped sharing some things because of that, because the mentally ill people seem to be on Twitter no matter what time of day you're on and no matter what you post. So you might as well not post things that are personal. But um, it's just it was just a really interesting story and that it was the, the smackdown was delivered almost immediately by both uh, both of the, the heads of the organizations that she was working for. And so I think it's unfortunate because we need all of these different voices out there writing and, and sharing content. And it's going to be, you know, obviously she she just won't be there. She'll probably find herself somewhere else, but she won't be in those two locations. So I. I wanted to pivot over to avocados, Ariel. I don't know if you're an avocado yes. eater. Are you? Do you eat them? I do. Oh, I have such. I feel like they're so overrated. Yeah, they are. I, I, I eat them, but I feel like they're incredibly overrated. I, yeah, yeah. Are, so you know, I like guacamole with chips and a margarita, but it's yeah. really an addendum to the margarita, right? So right, uh, right. You know, I have. I'm not that crazy about avocados. Take them or leave them. So. You and I are in the same boat where I eat them. Like if it's in a salad, I won't say don't put that in. If if there's guacamole around, I'm going to have some. Um, I actually like, I, I don't like avocado toast. I, and mainly because I just haven't had any because I'm not interested in having toast that's slathered with avocados. But I will, you know, buy some occasionally and put them into salad. Basically, it's just salad. Um, so I am not willing to make my eating of avocados superlative to securing the border, which a lot of people seem like they're like, what? We might not get avocados. We can't shut the border down. What do you make of that? Well, isn't that a great metaphor for kind of how millennials prioritize things, Stacey? <laughs> the fact that, you know, no, seriously, the fact that avocados are more of a concern than national security. Uh, that's remarkable. And sadly, you know, sadly, it's not at all surprising. I think that it's, again, I think it's sort of emblematic of how millennials are able to prioritize things. And in terms of their political acumen, it's just really not there. I mean, if you look at the voters under 35 who support socialism, that's another you would think would be a no-brainer. I mean, socialism is counted for millions of deaths in the world, and yet you still have an increasingly no- increasing number of people under 35 saying that they prefer socialism over capitalism. So again, I just think it's a lack of you know logic. I think it's a lack of being able to prioritize things. Um, you know, I also think we. It's representative of, as well, of sort of the instant gratification culture that we've come to live in, uh, especially my generation. You know, we've grown up, we're the most privileged generation of any generation to live in the United States. And so we've come, become accustomed to certain comforts. And I think we take those comforts for granted. And I even think we're willing to elevate them over larger issues um, because we are so privileged and because we sort of lack an understanding of what it's like to go without something. Um, and I think that that's sort of captured in the and now you know captured in the the comparison that you gave me i just i so thank you because i was i was wondering if i was just the only one who was shocked that this had become an issue um the president said he might shut the border 
and Mitch McConnell threw him under the bus, which I, I've been waiting because Mitch McConnell was so good on the Merrick Garland thing and he was awesome during the Kavanaugh thing. And I thought, he's going to let me down. He's, he's not going to let me stay up here supporting him. He's not going to let me keep doing this. He's going to make he's going to disappoint me. And here he is. Instead of him saying, you know, this is the Democrats fault. If the president has to shut the border, it's because of the intransigence of the Democrats. He says, oh, we can't do it because it would be devastating to economic you know, stability and yada, yada, yada. Really? The majority of what we're doing with with Mexico benefits them. We support their GDP. They do not support ours. We do get products from them, but it's not things we can't get from anywhere else. So why would Mitch McConnell, why would he play this role unless he really is a part of the swamp, like everybody says? Well, I think that there's, you know, so what I will say is that there isn't a lot of willingness in the establishment GOP to make sort of surface level economic concessions that might bring about long-term economic gains. So in the short term, things like tariffs, in the short term, things like shutting down the border are economically, could be economically harmful, tariffs for sure, but I can't really say comment much on the border. But I will say in the short term, I do think they're going to be, we're going to take an economic hit regardless. But the Mm -hmm. issue is that when you play politics, sometimes you do have to take those economic hits to see sort of the long-term gains or the long-term response that you're looking for. And that's just something that, you know, the GOP establishment has always struggled with. They've always struggled with any sort of interference in free markets. And I sympathize because I myself is someone that is, you know, hugely into free markets and I love trade. Uh, But I do think that when it comes to playing politics, you do sometimes have to play these games. You do have to take these economic economic hits in the short term to see the long-term policy goals that you want. Uh, and, you know, it's not like when you, you slap on tariffs, they stay there indefinitely. They don't. And that goes the same thing for the border. When you shut down the border, you're not shutting it down forever. You're not even shutting it down for probably more than a couple of weeks. But you're doing it because you're hoping to see a, a political response. And you have to leverage whatever economic tools you have. And I think, you know, the GOP establishment has just always been incredibly wary of doing that. And that's what we're seeing now is we're seeing that wrestling between you know, what the traditional GOP would have done in 2004 and what Trump's GOP wants to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And, we're, you know, we're continuing to see those battles on all fronts, not just economic, but national security and, and the like. Okay, so first off, Ariel, um, yeah, I, so I accept your analysis. I, I wish, you know what I wish? I wish that President Trump would get this clip and hear what you just said so that he could understand that Really, it's it's totally up to him. And regardless of what Mitch McConnell says, his threat to shut down the border, he threatened it last year and now he's threatened it again, that he should do it because it is as he did with the tariffs. The tariffs are working. The, they have hurt certain sectors of the economy in the United States. They felt the brunt of it. But on the, the whole, they have moved China closer to where we want them to be on some of the economic issues that the president was railing about during the campaign. So the tariffs on the short term have worked. And he never said he was going to put permanent tariffs on. He just said, we'll just do the same thing to them that they're doing to us. And somebody's going to yell uncle and it's working. So the shutting down the border would not only prove to Americans that he's serious about this, it would prove to Mexico that he's serious, but it would be the perfect part two to what he already did, which was defunding our aid to which countries did he defund? Not not Mexico. It was El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, I think. Guatemala, yes. Guatemala yeah, so one. he should defund Mexico. If he did that and then shut the border, they would have to stop escorting these caravans of buses of, of people up to our southern border and dumping them off. 
Oh, no, the imagery is obscene. The fact that we have people coming to the border in busloads expecting asylum, I think that shows that we have a deeply, deeply broken system. And he's not wrong when he says it's a crisis. It's absolutely a crisis. And any journalist or pundit from the enclaves of their, you know, D.C. area or New York telling you it's not a crisis, it's absolutely a crisis. Uh, so I think he has hit the nail on the head with that. Um, and I'm disappointed to see sort of the lame duck response of the GOP establishment in Congress because I do think that this is, again, you and I, you and I have talked about this in the past. I think Trump's instincts are incredibly good. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's as politically savvy uh, as we would like, but that's only because he's not conditioned by politics. He's an outsider. Um, and so it's a, it's a learning curve. But, you, you know, you've said this in the past, and I agree with you. His political instincts are incredibly strong. Uh, and I think he's caught on to what's going on in the southern border, realizes the system is incredibly broken, and would like to do something about it. Um, but there's this sort of inertia in Congress on both the right and the left about getting anything done. I mean, this, the inaction is sort of the status quo. It is, and it's depressing, because when I hear Jay Johnson, who is hardly a moderate, like dude is over there on the left with Obama. They probably dance a jig over their leftist policies before they, you know, bow down and worship the little leftist idols and, you know, sacrifice something to them there. That dude is a leftist, but he has been on television recently saying when it was a thousand people a day, it was a crisis. Now it's 4,000 people a day. He doesn't understand how they're functioning. He does. He says it is a legitimate crisis. Even Chris Cuomo, who wouldn't know the truth if it hit him and beat him into submission and then revived him and beat him again. He says it's a crisis. I mean, we've got, yeah. we've got uh, images. I'm over on uh, CRTV or conservativereview.com. And they have an article up here about another radio host who says it's impossible to have a civil society with this kind of invasion. The picture is of the southern border, it's a Getty Images, so this is like not a pic by some, you know, activist. This is a real, real photographer took this picture. And the border wall stops, and then there's just a truck there, a little lonely border patrol truck there, and that's the only thing standing between migrants and the United States. Literally. Like, nothing. Just wall and then nothing, and you not can just walk right over. Not comforting, Stacey. No, that's not no. comforting. It's upsetting. <laughs> All right, it's Ariel Davidson. Yeah, you're always fantastic when you come on. Thank you for joining us today and for your awesome work over at townhall.com and The Federalist. Talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for having me, Stacey. Have a good one. All right, you too. Uh, We'll be back with more. We'll be talking about the one-sided presentation against Trump. And uh, we'll get to these other stories as well. We'll wrap everything up. Keep it here. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Illegal aliens cost the United States taxpayers an estimated $135 billion a year. Those same illegal aliens have sent an amount almost equal to that to three Central American nations since 2009. Annual remittances from illegal aliens living and working in the United States represent 20% of the economy in Honduras and El Salvador. Congress has made attempts to pass legislation taxing remittances at 7%. In 2016, immigrants in the United States sent home at least $130 $38 billion. 7% of that would be nearly $10 billion. 
an amount that represents a sizable chunk of the money requested by President Trump to finish the border wall. Leadership in El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras understand that America's elected officials lack the will to tax remittances or stop their citizens from coming into the country illegally. Why improve their countries when they can send their citizens here and reap the windfall? I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. The church has to take the lead in ensuring that men are properly trained for fatherhood. We have an epidemic in which boys are not growing up with their fathers. So as Christian men, we have to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that our communities are not destroyed. When we see fatherhood as a blessing and not an inconvenience, we will see children as spiritual weapons in our arsenal. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. (laughs) Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com It's Fox Wheels. If you're feeling overwhelmed because of clutter and crud accumulation in your car, Cars.com's Jenny Newman says you're not alone. We've all got trash floating around our car somewhere. (laughs) So where do we start? She says take a deep breath, hold your nose, and spring into action using sprays specifically designed for a car's interior, not just your typical glass cleaner. Oops. And really get those cup holders cleaned out, too, because they can be receptacles of nastiness. And use the two-bucket method when washing your car to avoid grit getting on your sponge. A Cars.com survey shows getting the winter mess out of our cars is the number one thing on a respondent's to-do list. There kind of was a lot of finger-pointing. <laughs> so, you know, our respondents, they, they blamed their kids. But that it's really a family team effort in keeping the car clean. Of course, you could just always spring for an expensive detail at the local car wash and be done with it. Jeff Manasso, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Look, I have been right from day one, and almost all the other pundits and professors have just been dead wrong. It's time for them to fess up. It's time for CNN to issue an apology. CNN banned me from their air because I was being too fair. I was trying to assess what the essential issue was, and I wasn't being partisan. They didn't want that. They didn't want that. Fox is prepared to present all sides of the issue. I'm a liberal Democrat who voted for Hillary Clinton, but you have me on the air. CNN wouldn't have me on the air because they only want a one-sided presentation. And everybody who watched CNN was shocked by the conclusions of the attorney general. Nobody who watched me was shocked because I've been predicting this from day one. Wow. So uh, uh, that was Alan Dershowitz, and he's just been... And and admittedly, I don't agree with him politically on a lot of things, but on the issue of collusion and Trump and this coup, he's been so good. And I don't mean because I agree with him. I mean, I I learned things from from watching his TV hits and seeing his analysis of the issues. And so it's it's super important to have voices out there like that, where I, I think he has a little more credibility with me when he says these things, because I know he's not a conservative. He voted for Hillary Clinton, you know. 
he's he's he doesn't have a dog in this fight. He's not for my side politically, which means when he says these things, I have to kind of say, wow. So he he's giving analysis here. This is not his opinion. So uh, there it is. Let's go to the phones. Andy in Georgia. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Earlier, uh, someone had called in talking about Planned Parenthood coming into the schools and giving fake birth control. Yes. Uh, I don't think it really matters to them if uh, they take in birth control or getting or abortions because I already left. You know, maybe the devil put it in their mind, that thought in their mind, just for them to make some money off of it. But uh, because the main thing, I know the devil's goal, I feel like, is to destroy the family. Yeah. Because if yeah. we don't if we don't have if we don't have the concept of a family or father or parent love to their children, how are we gonna get the concept of the love of the father of God for us or that he allowed his son to die for us, you know what I mean? So that's where exactly I believe that God this that will come from, you know what I mean? You're right. You are absolutely right. Um I you know I I would just piggyback on that and say the reason they're able to get that foothold is because Fathers who are in the home and they're active in their kids' lives, they're talking to their kids about sex and about the sanctity of marriage and about uh, the mistakes that people can make when they decide they're going to just satisfy their physical urges. Dads that are engaged on that issue, talking to their kids about it and sending them to summer camps where they can learn about it. And I I know that sounds weird because I'm always saying I don't want other people teaching my kids about reproduction and all of that. But... I've talked to you about Faith Ascent Base Camp before, um, and and they don't they're not there talking to the kids about sex. They're talking about things that are being discussed in the culture, and the lectures that they have equip them with a biblical worldview. So they, when they're in school and the Planned Parenthood representatives come around, kids can say, you know what? No, thank you. I'm not interested in that. I I don't need that. Thanks. I'm not an animal. I'm not automatically going to have sex just because I'm a certain age. But thank you so much for stopping by. That's how you can empower your kids to uh, to be able to talk about these issues. Tony in Florida, thank you so much for calling the show today. Hey, Tony, welcome to the show. Mm, I think we may have lost him. So if you want to call and join the program, we still have the rest of this segment left. It's 866-963-2037, 963 uh, so we heard Dershowitz talking about CNN only wanted a one-sided presentation. And if you notice, all of their commentators, even if they say underneath on the Chiron, it'll say Republican or Republican strategist or something like that, they're all Trump haters. So they might come on and they might argue a little bit about policy or something, but mainly they're there to say bad things about Donald Trump as Republicans. That's the kind of commentators that, that CNN is hiring right now. They hire anybody who is pro-Trump, that person has an expiration date of like 90 days before someone says something or is offended by them or can't be in the room with them, and then they have to be let go. Um, So let's get to these news stories. And and this is the makeover that I mentioned in the first hour of the Supreme Court, uh, well, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. It's not the Supreme Court. It's the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, the loony ninth. Um, He's dealt a setback to progressive legal advocates and you're going to because they like to go to the ninth. They'll say we have standing in this area because, you know, this person is related to someone who lives in Oregon. And then they'll say, so we want this case heard in the Ninth Circuit. What they really mean is we want it heard by liberals. Now, 
There's been a lot of whining from Kamala Harris and Dianne Feinstein because the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, in order to put somebody on there, when you nominate them, you're supposed to ask the two senators from the Judiciary Committee who's who represent one of those states, any one of the states in the Ninth Circuit. And you're supposed to give them an opportunity to weigh in on the nominee. And it, they can like blue card that person. And the blue card basically means this person is so outside of the pale that we won't accept them nomi- being nominated to the court. We won't even allow them to have a hearing. Well, President Trump has completely skipped over that process. And with good reason, because if he had given into that process, he wouldn't get anybody uh, affirmed to the court. And remember, Ninth Circuit covers nine Western states, including California, Hawaii, and Oregon. So leftist strongholds. His latest pick to the Ninth Circuit, including Ken Lee and Dan Collins, uh, they're expected to be confirmed. And once they are, the, the remaining vacancies that are left to be filled will mean that 13 of the 29 seats are filled with judges picked by Republican presidents. Now, just a year ago, it was 16 judges who were appointed by Democrats. So then there were only six of them who were chosen by Republicans. So President Trump has gone from six to 13. That's great. He still has more work to do because I would like to see the Ninth Circuit have like 20 judges that were appointed by Republicans. I don't know how long it'll take him to get there, if he'll be able to do it, but hopefully he will. Um I love that he's been able to do this because he said we should break the court up. Michelle Malkin wrote an amazing op-ed about breaking up the Ninth Circuit Court. I remember reading it and thinking, if only. Um, Breaking it up into smaller chunks would create different additional uh, circuit appellate courts, but it would also mean that people who are in that appellate court system would have less wait time. They have lengthy waits right now. Their wait times would be reduced greatly if there were more judges and more courts in order to hear those cases. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But right now he's, you know, doing, I I think it's a good job he's doing with that. Let's go to Cindy in Virginia. Cindy, thanks for calling the show today. Hi. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, hi, Stacey. Um, I've been listening to you for a while. And I just wanted to, uh, first of all, I used to not like Donald Trump. I'm Korean background. And I tell you, I think what he does, whether he's Christian or not, is so pro-Christian that I, you know, really started to support him more and more. Mm. So, but thank you for educating you and Hamilton Corner is who I listen to. And I tell you, I've been so well educated by what uh, the facts that y'all you know, bring out there that are truth, not uh, mm-hmm. fake media. So <laughs> I just want you. to thank you for the for all the truth that y'all, you know, make sure we understand. So I've been sharing uh, that information with my uh, non-Korean friends to make sure they know the truth, too. So mm-hmm. I've been sharing that, too. Oh, thank you. I, so I'm, you I'm glad that you you're getting that out there. That's good to, to do. I'm glad you're doing that. Yeah, and my friends think I'm crazy, but I say, hey, listen, why would you just listen to one side when you listen to both sides and then decide what's truth? Yes. That's what I tell them. But I was calling about the Unplanned, the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friends and I, my mother's in prayer, uh, friends and I, we watched it last Thursday night. Mm-hmm. And on Fridays, I am a, a volunteer mentor, a client mentor at a... Pro- 
it's a pro-life uh, pregnancy center. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I was watching an eight-week-old um, pregnant mother's um, ultrasound, and I've seen it many times before, um, Stacey, I don't know if you know, in the beginning of baby's growth, there is a thing called cheerio ring on top of their head. Mm. The cheerio ring is what feeds them nutrients before the umbilical, umbilical cord kicks in. Right. And as I'm watching, after the movie, I'm watching this mother's ultrasound, and then suddenly it reminded me of an halo, like angel's halo. Oh, right, right. I know. I never thought about it that way. I've been doing this for over a little over a year now. And just after the movie, just watching it, suddenly, I, of course, we're always praying for our clients because you know, a lot of them come in wanting to do an abortion. So they're right. getting a free ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And as I'm watching this, um, I, it just reminds me of, it's like they belong to God, like an angel's halo. And as soon as the human body and umbilical cord, human starts feeding, the body starts feeding the baby, that halo, that um, cheerio ring disappears. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, just, it? it's just amazing. I know. And my friends, yeah, I, I, and Friday, after watching it, I was like, I thank God because I really felt like this is something that never really connected. I, you just assume it's there. Mm-hmm. And after the moving, the, watching the movie, it really connected with me. And I was able to share that with my other friends to let them know this life, even from very beginning, God has them. You know, they're God's angels. That's right. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you're doing at that pregnancy resource center, the ultrasounds and the prayer over those women. You know, and I just, I want to hold her up as an example. She's, she's one of the people, there are millions of women and men like her who work at pregnancy resource centers. Um, They work at, some of them are branded differently, but they all do the same work. Um, And they are volunteers and they spend their time there because they want to be a part of the... Um, they want to be a part of the solution. So, and and so, if you're someone who you're praying, you're part of the solution. I'm. I don't mean to demean anyone's work where they're. You know, if you're if you're pro life, but you're not. You don't have the time. You're working or what have you, and you can't do that. Don't take it the wrong way. I'm not saying that. But for people who take the time that she's taking and and she's in there doing that for her to make that connection, and then she's just shared it on air here with us. You know, so we all get to experience that. It just gives me chills because I know that God is in the mix here. And he's so, God is never slow. He's never late. He, he's never, his will and his purposes will be achieved. Will, his will will be done. And if you, if you doubt that, just look in the Bible at the way David would be sinning and still fulfilling prophecy. And, I mean, you know. So he probably thought, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm just doing this so I can stay alive. And in and in God's providence, he would still be fulfilling prophecy and doing what needed to be done. And so when we look around and we feel very discouraged, I know I do. I feel utterly discouraged by what's going on at the southern border. I mean, the tyranny that's on display right now is so magnificent and so well orchestrated and so brazen. It's hard to believe we're awake, 
right? This looks like what happens in a movie and then the good guys come in and they fix everything. Only we're awake and the good guys seem a little overpowered at this point. But I have to be reminded of what our good caller, she just shared, she talked about how the baby before the umbilical cord is formed, there's a little halo over its head. And that is just an indicator from, from God to us. He's always in control. And so he's in control, whether our border is overflowing or whether it's completely sealed and utterly, you know, just the closest to human perfection it can get. And I see God's hand in the way things are developing with this movie, Unplanned, the way they were able to pull it together, um, the, the obstacles that have gone up in front of them, and they still were able to do it, the production quality. Um, to watch a movie like that that's made independently, to have that kind of an experience in a movie theater, that happens when God is in the mix. And so, you know, people are talking about how they've gone to see the movie and they've been released from the bondage of their own abortion or their spouse's abortion. People are coming out changed. And that's what God is all about. He's, of course, God is holy and he is a God of justice and order and every evil deed will be punished. No one will escape judgment, but he is also merciful and he loves us and he wants to see us healed and made whole. And for every person who comes into that theater and leaves, you know, maybe feeling convicted, um, but they know okay, I can be forgiven. If Abby Johnson, who participated in, you know, almost 30,000 abortions can be forgiven, then I can be forgiven too. For every one of those people, there's a party going on in heaven and all of us down here who feel discouraged about any situation, we have to stop where we are and say right then and there, praise God. Thank you for what you're doing through this movie, through these fallible human beings, through the mistakes that Abby Johnson made. Thank you for what you're doing. The healing is happening. Go see the movie, and Lord willing, I'll be back with you tomorrow with more Stacy on the right. Have a great evening, and good evening from the heartland. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association. Urban Family Talk. Urban Family Talk.